I walked in this morning and I said to you, oh, I'm so glad you're here to study God's word. But I just want you to know that parts of it cannot be taken as literal. I mean, after all, some parts are just poetic and some things were only applicable to that culture. We're far more civilized than that. So um, they can't really regard those as true for today. Or what if I continued with, there's no universal truth, you know. You just need to find your own truth. You know, God is love. It's enough if you just love everybody. I hope that you could discern that such teaching would be errant. It would be false teaching, false thinking. And hopefully around here, you've at least been taught to recognize clear heresy. But what if the statements made were more veiled, just slightly veering from the truth at first, but over time morphed into other teachings, all spoken by a dynamic, likable teacher who really seemed to care for your soul? Would you be so quick to recognize false teaching? Years ago, I was invited with some friends to go lead uh, worship music at a singles retreat. And my girlfriend was on staff at that church. She was in charge, and she had invited a man to come speak, an ordained chaplain who had done devotionals around the city in different churches and parachurch organizations, well-loved, wonderful, warm personality, very likable, seemed to have a strong love for the Lord. And so she was excited about him speaking. At the first session, after our first set of music, he spoke, and not too far into that session, he made a couple statements. And I thought, maybe, maybe I misunderstood him. Maybe he just misspoke. And so I just kind of dismissed it as maybe a misstep. But after the second session, I knew that there were a couple more statements that were not accurate. One of them was uh, kind of a watered-down gospel, and one of them was clearly not true. So during the afternoon, my friends and I gathered with him and asked for a time to meet. When we quizzed him on what he meant, we were greatly disturbed to hear that his statements were just the tip of his thinking. He diminished the all-powerful work of God and downplayed the deity of Christ. It was very disturbing to my girlfriend as well, and she canceled the last session. Paul did not know personally many of these brothers and sisters at Colossae. But he was well aware how the temptation to believe false teaching and false thinking, how that can sneak into a local body. And those same false teachings or ways of thinking can, be, can happen here. It can sneak into our local body. We must be guarding our hearts, diligent to protect the truth of the gospel. We must be prepared to examine teaching that comes our way, whether it be from the voice in the pulpit, from a Sunday school teacher, from a podcast, or, some, or even a good friend. And that's what I want to do today, to look at the four warnings that I see Paul saying to the Colossians. He begins each of these warnings with the use of the phrase, let no one, or see to it that no one. And um, he warns them about little different variations 
of false teaching or false thinking. Now, I know this is not an exhaustive list, but what we're going to stick with today is what we see in Colossians 2. And we're going to talk about what the warning is. We're going to think of, look at examples of how that, how that thinking was happening in that culture as well in it as our culture. And ways to biblically examine those claims. So let's have prayer one more time. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that you gave us your word. You have given us all we need for life and godliness, Lord. You have given us all the words of wisdom and truth. Oh, God, how would you communicate to the ears of these listeners the truth of your word? You know that my words are just words. You know that I cannot speak spiritual truth. It has to be your spirit of God that will enlighten them to understand what you're saying. So I pray that you would be faithful to do your work, Lord, to speak to us all and convict us all, Lord, where we have let ourselves shift from the truth of your word. I pray that we would be women who stand faithfully for what you have said. And we give this to you, Lord, this time that you would be glorified in what your word says. In Christ's name, amen. For each of these uh, concerns, Paul begins, like I said, with the words, let no one. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5, which include the first one of these warnings. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The first warning about false teaching Paul gives is the one that teachings that would delude you. Okay, so I looked at what in the world does delude you mean? To delude means to deceive, to reason with contrary to truth, using what seems plausible, but later will let you down. This type of, of false teaching leads, uses lots of reasoning that sounds like it could be true, and after listening for a bit, the listener often feels like, I was, I was just being too narrow-minded, or maybe I was just being legalistic. What kinds of teachings were the Colossians hearing that sought to delude them? Well, there were several groups that were teaching their own version of the truth. The Greek culture stressed the value of knowledge, philosophy, and appearance. The Gnostics were trying to teach that spirit and matter were incompatible, that God would not have mixed with something physical, so therefore he wouldn't have created the world, and he certainly wouldn't have come in biblical, in a bodily form to the world. And they were dismissing the whole notion of the bodily deity of Christ. The Jews were still legalistically equating laws as a means of salvation. 
Now, we have plenty of teachings in our culture today that seeks to delude us with either blatant false teaching or leading us into false thinking. And the problem is that it takes a little truth and starts veering off. How about inerrancy? I've heard this statement from my mother-in-law. Well, look at Leviticus or slavery in the New Testament. These are not for our culture. Or how about ways of thinking, like views on abortion? Well, why would you want to have an unwanted pregnancy? Or she can't take care of a baby. Or our views about homosexuality. I can't help the way I am. He can't help it. Or divorce. No one should be in an unhappy marriage. It's okay. Or promiscuity. Well, they really shouldn't live together, but it's cheaper for them to live together just for a while till they get married. Or the role of women pastors in the church. Well, you know, women are just as smart as men. There's no reason a woman shouldn't be the head pastor. Or how about faith healing? It's always God's will to heal because, you know, by his stripes, we're healed. Or how about this one? That might be more where we are. A loving God would never send anyone to hell. Or, well, my neighbor couldn't be lost. I know she's whatever, but, you know, she knows about God, and she likes him, and she, you know, she's, she knows a lot. She goes to church. Um, or this thinking. This might be more subtle. We don't really need to worship in a church building. I mean, God is everywhere. So it's okay if I'm not at church. I, I can worship God from here at home. Ladies, if we're not on guard, we will be deluded into hearing plausible arguments that affect our thinking. Or we'll be taught things from our culture that leads us off. So how do we deal with teaching that seems a little off? Maybe it uses a lot of reasoning and makes us think about things we've never thought about. How should we examine any teaching that comes our way? Well, Paul gives us some direction in these verses. And I'm going to turn those into questions to ask as we look at those thoughts. Does this teaching encourage me to seek truth in the hidden treasures of God's word? That's the phrase that Paul uses in verse 3 in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do I feel that I'm being manipulated? That's certainly what was happening with these plausible arguments talked about in verse 4. Does this message cause me to remember truths I've been taught by sound teachers? Paul refers that in in verse 7 where he talks about um, being rooted and built up and established in the faith just as you were taught. But mainly, does this message remind me that I am rooted and built up in Christ? The second warning that Paul addresses regarding false teaching and thinking is found in verse 8. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. What does it mean to be taken captive? In this phraseology, in the Greek, it meant to plunder, to carry off like a predator with its prey. 
Paul knew that some would actively pursue this way of teaching, that they had deceitful intent to catch and captivate the listener. How was this played out in Colossae? With philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world. Now, philosophy in itself, a love for wisdom, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to love wisdom, but wisdom apart from what God has said is the, is the philosophy that Paul was contradicting. Empty deceit, false impressions made to deceive or cheat. Or human tradition, well, this is the way our church fathers have done it, or this is the way we've always done it, or the elemental spirits of the world. This pagan culture around the Colossi church stressed the worship of nature, but not the creator. So whatever the Colossians were dealing with, we have examples in our church world today. I've been told, well, you know that song, Jesus Loves Me? Well, that's a nice little song, but when you learn more, you'll realize you need to move on to the less elementary things in this salvation thing. There's no need for you to study the Bible. You need someone more educated than you to explain to you and tell you what it says. No one should ever have to suffer. That isn't God's will. You just need to name it and claim it, what you want God to do for you. Give and it will be given to you. You send me your money and God will bless you and restore to you tenfold. Or perhaps, maybe more subtly for us, might be this little variation of thinking, um, if I pray these certain prayers for my husband or my child, I'll get this result that I want. Or, I'm just going to hold God to his promises. Now, I am not saying, I want you to hear me, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray fervently for our husband and children. We shouldn't pray for God to do certain things. I am not saying we shouldn't cling to the promises of God. I believe both of those fully. But the motive underneath, the thinking underneath, could be, if it's up to me, I can get these results I want by praying this particular prayer. There's some of that thinking in, in some of our circles, even our well-meaning circles. And some of the thinking like, well, God's made this promise, so I'm going to hold God onto it as if we know what God is doing. We need to be careful, ladies. God is God. He can do what he wants. We need to let him be Lord over all those things. So how do we deal with teaching that seems to emphasize more um, of these other thoughts that maybe don't focus as much on what God thinks. So let's ask these questions. Does this teaching that I'm hearing encourage me to seek wisdom apart from the word of God? That would be some of the philosophy addressed in verse 8. Is the rationale tied to human tradition alone? How about, could there be financial, political, or personal gain for the deliverer of the message? Do they have something to gain by what they're teaching me? Or also in verse 8, does this teaching most of all lead me back to seeing what, what Christ alone says? All these other things are according to other things when it should all be according to Christ, as verse 8 tells us.
Another warning that Paul gives is seen in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. What does it mean by pass judgment? I mean, I think it's pretty clear, but um, to come to a decision by making a judgment, either positive or negative. And Paul warns them and us not to succumb to the pressure from those who would pass judgment on us as if this would please God more. What were they being judged for? What they ate and drank? Whether they were celebrating or honoring certain festivals or days or seasons? And we probably understand this a little better. We have a lot of things that uh, in our midst, even in our church, for which we can pass judgment or we might even be the one passing judgment. And this is not necessarily all false teaching, but it's a veer from false thinking. Uh, I just listed a few things that we can pass judgment on or put ourselves under. Um, Really spiritual people don't celebrate Halloween or Santa, and they always celebrate Reformation Day and Lent. Um, If you're really a Christian, you won't drink, dance, or watch certain movies. Um, And if you're really spiritual, you're going to boycott Disney, Nike, and Target. Um, If you're really, really godly, your kids will go to a Christian school. Or stay at home and be homeschooled. Or be witnesses in the public school. You're really more spiritual if you've got the right choice there. Or... If you're really a Christian, you'll vote for that person or be a part of this party. Or, I, I really believe that my gift is far more superior than yours. We see this a lot in the charismatic movement, elevation of certain gifts. But y'all, we can be care- we've got to be careful that doesn't happen here. We can elevate the gift of teaching above the gift of service. Or the gift of encouragement isn't nearly as good as the gift of leadership. We've got to be careful that we value the bodies. Um, How are we to examine thinking that seems to focus a lot on judgment? Ask yourselves these questions. Does this teaching seek to use guilt to arouse action? That scene in 16 and 17, they were trying to get a response, a change in behavior. All right, is there a critical spirit toward others who don't share this same view? How about, is this focus of the teaching on judging outward acts only? Or does it actually deal with the heart? And most of all, are these things for which Christ canceled the debt of the law? And did away with it, nailing to the cross. Are these things that are under that? As we saw earlier in this passage. I'm sorry. Just got choked a minute. (laughs) Another concern for which Paul uh, addresses is found in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. What does it mean in this passage to be to disqualify you? To deprive someone 
of their rightful prize and reward. It's like a judge making a wrong call. These teachers in Colossae were insisting that strict spirit, uh, self-discipline and avoidance of any indulgences were key. There was a focus on the supernatural, angels, visions, making them consider themselves to be spiritually elite. Human precepts and teachings were the basis, and it all looked pretty religious. So how do we experience that thinking today? Well, certainly hyper-legalism, or legalism, legalism at all. Using rules to define what is godly behavior. A focus on the supernatural. We're seeing that all around us, but not Christ. Focusing on angels, or visions, or unexplainable things, or extra-spiritual ex experiences. And it all sounds, you know, it's kind of spiritual-sounding. Or how about false humility? I'm so proud that I'm humble. You know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe it's an underhanded way of bragging about oneself with kind of even a spiritual self-deprecation kind of thought. And it's, Paul even speaks of how there are sensuous minds puffed up. Now, he's not talking about sexuality, sensuous. He's talking about the mind being caught up in perceptions from the senses, consumed with what the senses tell me. So how do we regard any teaching that maybe has some of those elements? Maybe ask yourself these things. Does this teaching encourage me to be puffed up because of my own spirituality? Am I truly, this is a big one, Am I truly growing and valuing the body and their individual variety of gifts more and more as a result of this teaching? We see a lot of emphasis on the body. This is particularly in verse 9 where we see that the body is growing together as it holds fast to the head. So that would be a key sign. Does it encourage the body and my engagement in it? Is there a focus on severe self-discipline? Do I feel free to enjoy pure, God-given enjoyments of life? Does this cause me to seek Christ's help in fighting temptation? Or is there a focus on my own abilities to do that? Verse 23 addresses this when it says, these things have an appearance of Self-made religion, but they don't do anything about the indulgences of the flesh. But most of all, am I encouraged to cling to the head, to Christ above all? Paul's concern for the Colossians should be the same concerns we have for ourselves and for our body and the church as a whole. We must be on our guard. 2 Peter 3.17 says, Therefore, dear friends... Since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Let no one delude you. Will you listen to plausible arguments rather than the fullness of deity? 
Let no one take you cap, oh, excuse me, or, the, or excuse me, will you listen to plausible arguments or be rooted in full assurance? Let no one take you captive. Will you settle for worldly spirits rather than the fullness of deity? Let no one pass judgment on you. Do you want shadows or do you want the substance? Let no one disqualify you. Do you want self-made religion or real relationship? In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him is the whole fullness of deity dwelling bodily. He canceled the record of debt with its legal demands. So let us hold fast to him, to Christ, who is the head. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we need you to recognize where we're being fed, um, even culturally, subtly. We're being fed things that are not according to your ways. And I pray that you would convict us as we listen. Give us um, spiritual antenna, Lord, to recognize when uh, the thinking we have is going off or the things we're hearing are wrong. Lord, may we honor you in the way we respond and Father, I just pray for each woman here today. You know what she's going to face when she walks out? And I pray for her to have encouragement to be built up in you that she will be um, equipped for what she's got to face today. And we trust you with these things because, Lord, you are good and you've given us all we need for life and godliness. In Jesus' name, amen.